0: Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. The title of my message is The Rest of Righteousness. The subtitle is Bricks and Whips. I know that sounds interesting. We'll get into it. The Rest of Righteousness. We're going to start in verse, or, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 16. We're going to read a lot of Bible here at the beginning. All right? You ready for some Bible? All right, that three of you, were you ready for some Bible? (laughs) All right, I know I'm not a great reader. I graduated from Kokomo High School, but I'm gonna do the very best I can, I promise. Here we go. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 16. I'm reading out of the New Living this morning. And it starts here, "And and who was it who rebelled against God even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? It's going to be an encouraging message this morning, starting off strong. Whose corpses lay in the wilderness and to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they they would never enter into his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? See, so we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into his rest. Starting in chapter four, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. What a weighty, weighty verse right there. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you may fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has, uh, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they did not share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter into his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. That they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. That's a powerful statement there. Even though his rest has been ready since he has made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter into my rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. That time is today. God announced this through David much later In the words already quoted, today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about a day of rest still coming. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter into rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. This is probably the most familiar uh, verses in chapter four. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly, church, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When we need it most. Father, I thank you for your anointing that is here today. I thank you for your presence. God, I pray that your word would come today and pierce our hearts. God, that we would be pierced with the revelation of righteousness today. God, that we'd be able to enter into rest, the rest that you promised us. God, may my speech, my preaching, not be with persuasive words of human wisdom this morning, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe on your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Hebrews 3, chapter 3 and chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews, which is more than likely Paul, is using the story of the exodus of Israel as a metaphor to tell us, to, to, uh, to show us the climate that many of the church, many in the church find ourselves in. And uh, if you don't know the story of the exodus of Israel, or maybe you need a refresher, let me just share a little bit of that with you. Israel, the people of Israel, uh, had lived in Egypt and they became captives of Egypt. And for 400 years, the Israelites were slaves in the desert sun and the desert sand. They were slaves making bricks for Pharaoh for 400 years. Can you imagine that? 400 years, which means that there are generations of Israelites. Who knew nothing but a life of slavery? For 400 years, they were slaves. But then God intervenes. After 400 years, God intervenes, and He sends Moses. He commissions Moses to go in, and this is the story of the ten plagues and the "Let My People Go," which we're going to save for another time. Uh, but He, uh, but but God sends Moses. All of that happens. The Israelites are set free. They walk. Moses parts the waters. They walk through the Red Sea. The waters close in on the Egyptians behind them. They're standing on the shore on the other side of Egypt, on the other side of the Red Sea. Free people. For the first time in 400 years, they are free. And they are not captive anymore. That people, that the generation that was alive at that moment, that had never experienced freedom, all of a sudden were standing on the other side, on the shore, experiencing what it was to be a people free to choose whatever life they want to live. So they become free, but God, God doesn't free them and then just leave them to their own devices. He doesn't just free them and not give them direction. Instead, what he does is he reminds the people of a promise that he had given generations and generations before to a son named Abraham. Where he promised him that Abraham, if you leave your homeland of Ur, And you leave behind your family and go to a land that I will show you. That you and your descendants will enter into this land and inherit this promised land of Canaan. So God reminds these now free Israelites of the promise given generations before to go to this land. And so they begin making their way. And from Egypt to Canaan is about an 11 day journey. And this mass group of people, some scholars believe by this time, there are hundreds of thousands, if not over a million Israelites in this community, this company of people. So it may have taken more than 11 days. I know what it's like to travel with three kids, let alone that many people. But they make their way to the land of Canaan. They get to the border. They're just outside of the promised land. And God tells Moses, he says, gather together leaders from each of the 12 tribes and send them into the land to explore and to look over the land. And so Moses gathers the men together, the the 12 leaders from each tribe together, and he begins to communicate with them. And he says, you're to go into the land and spy it out. He tells them, he says, look to see if the cities are fortified or if they're weak. Look to see if the people are many or if they are few. Look to see if the ground really is as fertile as the Lord says it is. And and he says, and if you can, bring back uh, some of the harvest. Bring back some of the crops so we can see. So these 12 men journey into the promised land. They spend 40 days scouting the land. They come back to Moses. They come back to the, the tribe of Israel With a mixed report. They said Moses the land. Is beautiful. It really does flow with milk and honey. They said check out these grapes. That we brought back. These grapes where just the the whole cluster. It took two men. To carry just one cluster of grapes. The grapes are huge. But. But the cities are strong, and the men are mighty. They said, in fact, we saw the descendants of Anak, which are giants, a family of giants. We saw the descendants of Anak in the land, and they were huge. And he said, the, the people said, they saw us as grasshoppers. And they said, you know what? We saw ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight. The Bible tells us in Numbers, it says that the company of Israel wept through the night. That they were in despair. That they cried out to God, why would you bring us here to this place? Why would you bring us here? They didn't end up entering the promised land, as many of you know the story. Instead, this day... Where they came back and decided that this place was too strong for us to overcome. They disobeyed God and it began, it initiated 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years of the in-between. Of being free, but homeless. Of being set Free from their captivity and their bondage, but have no direction, no aim, nowhere to go, just wandering around. These people who were once under the whip of the taskmaster are now lost in the desert. They're now wandering around. They're no longer under the whip of the taskmaster, but, but they're still, they're still not able to enter into rest. They're still not able to enter in to the promised land. Free, but not in rest. And this, my friends, is the state that the writer of Hebrews is saying many of us find ourselves in. That we have been set free, but we still find ourselves unsettled. We still find ourselves anxious and unsettled. That we are no longer held in captivity to sin. But we are walking around with no purpose and no direction. That we are freed from the bondage of sin, but we are, walk- we are not walking in the fullness of the promise that we are no longer under the whip of the taskmaster, which the Bible tells us is the law, but we still have not entered into the grace of resting in his grace. We're in the in-between, set free, but still not in rest, not in captivity. The cross took care of our sin, we have been forgiven, But we're still not walking in the fullness of our inheritance and our promise. Still not walking in the fullness of our inheritance and our promise. So what happens then when you are free but still lost? What happens when you are in the in-between? When you are in that tension of being set free, not in bondage, you don't have a master anymore, but still not into the inheritance. What happens when you are wandering around aimlessly in the desert? You end up drifting back into a slavery mentality. You drift back into a slave mentality. It shows us, tells us in Numbers chapter 14. I don't think I have the scripture back there for you, Cameron, but Numbers chapter 14. Let me just read it a little bit to you. Numbers chapter 14 It says in verse two, it says, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Listen to that. They would have rather died in Egypt. They would rather have died in Egypt than enter into the promise. Or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. So their solution to the problem was to revert back into slavery. They said, you know what? This isn't worth it. Let's just go turn ourselves back over to Pharaoh. Let's go ahead and just give ourselves back over to Pharaoh. Let him put us in the handcuffs again. Let him put the whip back on our back. I'd rather make bricks all day long than be free and enter into the promised land. So what happens when you are in the middle and the in-between? What happens is we revert back into a slave mentality. That we are more comfortable being slaves in Egypt than we are being free in the promised land. The Israelites were free, but they wanted to go back to Egypt after seeing the promised land. It was more comfortable for them to be slaves in Egypt than free men in the promise. They would rather make bricks with a whip on their back than swim in pools of milk and honey. Because bricks, listen, why, why would that be? Why would they want to go back? Because bricks and whips were all they knew for 400 years. Bricks and whips were all they knew for 400 years. Why would they so quickly be willing to run back to Pharaoh because for 400 years, let me remind you again, this entire generation has knew nothing but slavery. And they were more comfortable in their captivity than they were in their freedom. They were more comfortable in their captivity than they were in their freedom. And here's what I believe the writers of Hebrews is trying to tell us today. That sometimes I think we're more comfortable identifying as sinners than we are as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's much easier for us to identify in our failures and our mishaps and identify ourselves by our mistakes than it is for us to declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What's funny though, is Jesus has no problem at all telling us that we're righteous. Jesus has no problem at all telling us that we are holy and without blame in his sight. He has no problem telling us at all that we are now without spot or wrinkle in his sight. But for some reason... It's difficult for us to accept the fullness of the promise and instead it's easier, easier for us to drift back into that slave mentality that I am just a sinner doing my best to get through this time on earth and pray, I pray that God will forgive me enough that I can just make it to heaven, that I can just crawl through the pearly gates and it's more easier for us to identify that we are sons of Adam than we are sons of Yahweh God. Romans chapter five, it's easier for us To identify with Adam than it is for us to identify with Jesus. That it's easier. We would rather the bondage of sin than swimming in the righteousness of God. We have the promised land before us, but just like the Israelites, we are still more comfortable in Egypt with the bricks and the whips. What are, I keep saying that, bricks and whips? What are bricks and whips? The bricks represent our works mentality. That if I do enough, strive hard enough, give enough, battle sin enough, then I will finally earn God's favor. Only one problem with that. Ephesians chapter 2 says, it is by grace that you have been saved. Not through works lest anyone should boast. It is by grace, it is a gift from God that you have been saved. It is his righteousness that is given to you. I love this analogy that I heard. You know, in the Old Testament, when the lamb was brought before the priest to be inspected, they always inspected the lamb and they never inspected the one the lamb was being sacrificed for. That your righteousness is a gift to you. That when God inspects us, he doesn't look at our righteousness, which is as filthy rags. Instead, he looks at Christ's righteousness and attributes his righteousness to us. That today, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let me go a step further and say this. You are as righteous now as God is today. That's a big statement. Right now, there is not a person in here who is more righteous than another person. Not one person in here is more righteous than another person other than Jeff Meyer. Maybe he's got us beat just a little bit. There's not one person in here that's more righteous than another. What does it say? You are the righteousness of God. Of God, meaning he can't get any more righteous than what he is. Right? And it says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means the righteousness that he has, you have right now. Right now. In your sin and your failure, when you, when you are in Christ, he looks at you and says, I, I don't see that. I see the lamb. I see his righteousness. I'm inspecting the lamb and he is perfect and he is righteous as I am righteous. And when I look at you, I see the lamb. I don't see your mistakes. I don't see your failures. I see the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What is what does that even mean? The is the word for righteousness. What it means is to be as you ought to be. That the to the to be as you ought to be that right now As you are, wherever you are in your life, when you are in Christ, you are exactly where you are supposed to be. You got to do the other side of that. What is sin then? Sin is hamartia. You break that up in the compound word. The word starts with he or ha, which is a negative word, which means without. Then meratos is the second part or however you say it, which means form, which means sin is to be without form. It's a... It's a, 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 it's giving off the image of being somebody who is, who is um, distorted and with a distorted image. So, so when you're in sin, yes, you have a distorted image, but when you are in righteousness, you are exactly who you ought to be. And you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what the bricks do is they tell us we've got to do all of these things. We've got to work. We've got to pray. We've got to make sure we're at church every single Sunday. We better lift our hands and worship. We've better give our our money. We better do all of these things. All of those things are wonderful. They're great. They're good. We should be doing all those things. But none of them, none of them make us righteous. None of them make us righteous. I love what James says. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. What is James saying there? He's saying, works didn't get me here. Faith did. But you better believe that my faith will produce the works. The works don't get you there. But you better believe when you are in Christ, when you are righteous, when you are exactly who you ought to be, you're going to begin walking how you're supposed to walk. You're going to begin looking how you're supposed to look. You're going to begin acting how you're supposed to act because you are who you ought to be. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There it is, Pastor Ron. It's the anointing is what that is. What it is is a nervous tick. It used to be this was my nervous tick, and now it's gone down to this. So you're exactly who you ought to be. You don't have to make bricks anymore. You don't have to build anymore. You know, I used to, I used to feel, I feel so guilty when I missed a day of prayer or I didn't read my Bible And I just, I just beat myself up because man, I just, I disappointed God. I was just working on those bricks. My prayer time doesn't make me righteous. He made me righteous. He made me holy. He made me blameless. And I go to the place of prayer, not to earn God's favor, but to enjoy God's favor. I go to the place of prayer to enjoy his favor. I come to church, not to be accepted by God. I come to church to surround myself with a community of believers and to honor the same God that we worship who has made us righteous. We gotta stop building bricks. We gotta stop working for our salvation. You are holy now, now. The next one's the whip. You got bricks and you got whips. That was the Lord right there. Bricks and whips. I'm not Dr. Seuss. I don't normally rhyme like that. Bricks and whips. The whip is the discipline we put ourselves under to keep ourselves from sinning. The whip is in the hand of the taskmaster, which is the law. This is what the whip does. If I could just follow the rules, if I could just cross every T and dot every I, I would finally walk in righteousness and I would feel better about myself and be able to enter into that place of rest. If I could just keep the rules, if I could just do everything right. If I can just make myself feel a little more guilty when I sin next time and beat myself up a little bit more. And if I can just set boundaries around myself a little bit more, a a few more things, then I could finally walk in righteousness. If I could just feel the whip on my back a little bit harder, then I would be able to set and walk the straight and narrow. And here's what I want to ask you this morning. How is that working for you? How's that working? I could take you back to a teenage boy who struggled with pornography. I'm the teenage boy, by the way, struggling with pornography and 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 after dealing with that sin, just feeling so, so sick, so guilty, almost to the point where I could throw up. I was so sick of myself and sick of the 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 sins that I had committed and those sorts of things. And I would just I would beat myself up enough that I believed if I just felt guilty enough, then maybe I wouldn't do it the next time. And I would set up all of these boundaries. You know, get get your prayer partner. Get your, what is it called? Your accountability partner, right? And set up enough boundaries, enough things. And guess what? Those worked for a season, but it would fail ultimately. The whip makes you feel like you're getting more production. But in reality, it just is crippling you even further. Right? The taskmaster would whip the slaves thinking they were making, getting more production out of them. But in reality, they were just crippling them more and more and more. And when we try to discipline the sin out of ourselves, we may feel like we're producing something, but in reality, we're just crippling ourselves more and more and more. So what is the solution? It's the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. It's the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. There's an image group of images that you are floating around on Facebook. Many of you have probably seen them. They're painted they're paintings of Jesus bent down, washing the feet of different people. And uh, you see him washing the feet of a woman. You see him washing the feet of a man. You see him washing the feet of the president. Uh, there's there's several of them out there, just different paintings. And I, I saw those and I was like, man, those are awesome. But then I saw, saw the paintings where he's down the water basin washing the feet of a woman who is draped in a rainbow flag representing the LBGT community. Then I saw another one where he's washing the feet of a woman holding a sign that says pro-choice. And when I saw those images, I was like, okay, hold on. This seems a little far, right? This seems, seems a little far then the holy spirit quickly reminded me he said i washed your feet he said i washed your feet he reminded me he said i bent down and i washed peter's feet who was going to deny me then he said you know what i washed judas's feet who i knew the enemy had already entered into his heart. I knew that the ball had already been rolling for him to go and, uh, and turn me over to the religious leaders. And I bent down and I washed his feet. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't the one holding the whip. He was the one that took the whip. Jesus isn't holding the whip this morning. He's holding a towel in a water basin. And I want you to see this morning that in your sin and your failures, Jesus is washing you clean. He's washing those feet. That sin that stains you this morning He's got his towel out and he's got his water basin and he is washing you clean. He is purifying you. He is cleaning you. I wanna tell you something. Some of you, some people are saying, yeah, but you know, you still gotta speak against sin. You still gotta speak against. And I understand some of that, but I wanna ask you this morning, what's more of a motivation? Someone coming to you and saying, you better quit that or you're going to be in trouble. Or the perfect spotless lamb, humbling himself, washing your feet. And I want to tell you, him washing my feet motivates me more than any discipline or any whip ever could to begin walking a path of righteousness. To begin walking as I ought to be. We got to lay down the bricks and the whips. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The bricks and the whips mentality will keep you from the promised land of rest. Hebrews 3. I'm almost done. Hebrews 3 verse 18 tells us that God took an oath that he would not allow these people to enter into the place of rest. Why does he say that? I believe he says that because God in his goodness will not allow you to be settled with a slave mentality. He will not allow you to be settled with a slave mentality. We're going to get into this, this passage way deeper, even more next week. But, but those 40, or those, those Israelites, every one of them, except for two, had to die in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land. And I believe it's because the Lord in his goodness will not let you enter into a place of settledness with a slave's mentality. And so a whole new generation had to be raised up before they could go into the promised land. But here is the beautiful thing for us. How do we enter into the promised land? How do we go to the place of rest? Hebrews four tells us, it says that God prepared a day for his people to go into rest. And that day is today, today that right now we have an opportunity to step in to the place of rest to eliminate our slave mentality to eliminate the bricks and the whips mentality and enter into the fullness of his rest which is the place of righteousness it's the revelation that you are good now and not when you get your act together that you are holy now and not when you finally step over that hill that right now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and when When you receive that revelation, when you are pierced with that revelation, then you come into a place of rest, knowing that you are his beloved's and he is yours. That today is the day. Today is the day. There's so much image imagery in this story. I love how, you know, Moses was never able to lead the people into the promised land. Moses always represents the law. The works mentality. That you have to do everything to be able to get things right and to be able to go into rest. Moses was not able to lead the people into rest. Do so you know who was? Joshua. Do you know what Joshua, when you break that down into the Greek, is Yeshua, which translates Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua. Took them into the promised land. Yeshua led them into the promised land. Not Moses. Not the law. Not works. But grace. But Jesus, the spotless lamb. And today is the day. Today is the day where Jesus can come and lead us into the promised land. To the place of rest.